Hello, listeners. Welcome to the Web Chatham Report, episode 83. How's it going? How you been? Happy New Year. When did we last talk? Let's see. Today is January 9th, so it would have been right before the New Year, like the 27th, 28th. Yeah. That seems weird. But anyway, lots happened. We're all still alive. I'm still alive. My friend Sean Drinkwater and I used to dream about doing a Seattle-style cover band of grunge songs in the 90s called Soul Bakery, named after the Soul Bakery on Harvard Ave in Alston. That Soul Bakery was a Korean bakery, S-E-O-U-L, Soul, but our band was going to be a Soul Bakery, S-O-U-L, and I would get to sing the Eddie Vedder songs, and I perhaps regret no other unfulfilled ambition or plan more than not being in soul bakery it would have been great i'm going hungry sean can do the high part from freaking kim fail is that his name anyway yeah i'm still alive you're still alive i hope uh things have been crazy man yeah let's see first the good news uh i'm very tired that's not the good news i'm doing this out of order i'm very tired there have been a lot of days this week i didn't sleep very much uh i stayed up late to watch the georgia results i was feeling pretty confident about it i got some friends working on the ground and the campaigns and some of the organizations down there and they were all telling me that things were they're cautiously optimistic but the stats supported their point of view so that was good and, you know, it was in one way, it was like a catharsis after the election. How many days we had to wait for Biden to pull ahead of Trump in Georgia. This time, everybody knew it was going to happen. And it happened a lot quicker. Like, you could just tell everybody knew. Even Trump knew. He still tweeted out, oh, they're about to dump a bunch of votes. Like, yeah, that's the votes. That's the ones they're counting. <laughs> but <laughs> people don't seem that surprised. So when I went to bed, you know, it had been called for Warnock. But you could tell that Ossoff was going to win. And, uh... I made a fatal mistake the next morning. I, I do my daily Facebook posts and I allowed a, uh, an ounce of optimism and joy to creep into my political outlook too soon because we had taken the Senate. <laughs> and, you know, nobody had called it for Ossoff yet at that point. So I felt like I was, I was going out on a limb saying, uh, you know, we took the Senate. And I thought that's what was going to jinx me, you know, even though all the data supported it and my friends on the ground were saying, yeah, we got this. And I was like, I still couldn't shake the feeling that I was jinxing things. But, uh, you know, uh, I wasn't wrong, but I, I sort of missed the mark a little bit. The jinx wasn't that, oh, surprise, there's some military votes for Ossoff. The jinx was surprise, coup. (laughs) So, yeah, that happened. I was working. Oh, God, is this what's going to happen? We're going to start talking about this like 9-11 already. Anyway, I was working and I was, you know, I was deeply aware of 
the day's events with the certification of Biden's election. And I knew that there was this rally and I watched part of Trump's speech and I read what he said. And I tweeted about how that was like impeachable even before the, the, the riot started because it was just so deeply irresponsible. But it was just another day, you know, barely any news stories about that. And I knew the risk, but really the thing that, uh, and then Emma was watching the news and she was like, I think you probably want to start paying attention. This is a little bit more serious. I, I, I wasn't even surprised when she told me they're making a run on it, run for it. She's like, they're making a run for it. There's some people in the Capitol. I'm like, yeah, that makes sense. Cause I, I knew they were going to try, but the part of me that was so stunning and I feel so dumb about in hindsight was that I thought that like they would be prepared. Like if I'm just some asshole dude in a basement in North Carolina and I could tell they were planning on storming the Capitol just by casually reading the Internet, I figured a police force with a multiple hundreds millions of dollar budget and uh, its own intelligence unit maybe could figure that out. But what I didn't realize, and it's taken a couple days, is that. They very well might have known, but they are just one police unit. They only have a finite number of employees and they needed this to be a giant all agency thing, right? There's a thing in the United States called the National Special Security Event. You can look it up on Wikipedia. I know about all this because I was writing a novel once where they were a major plot point. Anyway, um, that what, what those are are like the Super Bowl and the inauguration and things like that, where like the president and the executive branch declares this event a special national security event. And once that happens, the Secret Service takes over as the coordinating agency and all branches of the military and law enforcement can be used in the event's security. And it, it's like an organized thing, right? It is very obvious, given the level of chatter online and the obviousness of their plans, that this event should have been a national special security event. And it was not. And it was not because the executive branch has to designate it as such. And they did not. Then we have the compounding factor that D.C. is not a state. So if this were to happen in Raleigh, North Carolina or something like that, our good old Governor Roy Cooper would be like, wow, there's a bunch of radicals planning to storm my state house tomorrow. I'm going to call in the National Guard and the state troopers. D.C. has no state troopers because it's not a state and their National Guard is run by the executive branch. So I should have seen all this coming. It should have been obvious to me that one police force, the Capitol Hill police force, augmented by some city cops in D.C. were not going to be enough people. And, you know, I think that like over the first day or two, I, I, I won't deny it. I sat down once I realized the gravity of the situation and basically doom watched the news for six or eight hours until way too late in the night, thus not getting any sleep for two nights in a row. But, you know, uh, it's also very clear that there is a stingray in use and cell phone signals were not working. So a lot of the footage inside the Capitol was not getting out that night, right? What we had instead was the footage that from the TV crews outside the Capitol. And over the course of the night, you saw that perimeter eventually form and them get pushed further back. But like what you didn't see, of course, what was going on inside. And we have only started seeing that stuff in the last day or two. We like yesterday was the first time I saw that video of like 60 of these people coordinatedly acting like orcs assaulting Helms Deep with a battering ram against the door with a bunch of cops trying to hold the door and one of the cops getting his head slammed in the door and them spraying pepper, the assaulters spraying pepper spray on the cops. Like once you started seeing stuff like that, you know, the first day or two, I think a lot of people were like, this is a failure of the, of the Capitol police. But I, I've come around on that. This was a very, very dedicated assault. It was very violent. 
And even if they knew they are a finite number of people and there was no backup law enforcement agency, they could have called in advance. It was going to help them because everybody they were going to call would have been had to have been approved by the executive branch. And it's very clear the executive branch had no in, intention of sending additional forces. So, yeah, I think it was pretty terrifying. Uh, those zip tie, those guys with the zip tie hand restraints and uh, somebody was arrested with 11 Molotov cocktails that a woman was killed. A law enforcement officer was killed. A man tased his own balls. But like, you know, as the days go by, you realize how much more violent it was and how much profoundly worse it could have been. Like then you watch the video of conservatives saying that they need to kill Mike Pence, just a hundred or so conservatives chanting, kill Mike Pence. The video of another guy saying, what do we do once we break in? And the guy's like heads on pikes. That's when you realize this was really, could have been really, really awful, you know? And so that didn't really happen that night. I don't know where I was going with that, but like I, my, my, my grappling with this has been still ongoing, even to this morning. <laughs> So one other thing about it, the last thing I think I'll really say about this is that I read this tweet this morning and I thought it really like sort of hit the nail on the head. It's this person I don't know anything about. His name is Drew Daniel, but he tweeted something. And it was like he posted these two photos, one of the zip tie guy and one of this granny in the Capitol. And he said, I can't stop looking at these two pictures and thinking about the strategic advantage the political incoherence provides. Was MAGA deadly serious or a total farce? It's both binding hostage taking gun guys and flag waving grandmas. The elasticity of vague ideas is their strength. And I think that's really true and kind of profound. Like a lot of people are like, oh, look at these people. They didn't know what they were going to do when they were going to get what they got there. And it's just a bunch of weird grandmas and weirdos and horn dude. And I'm like, yeah, but there's also like a, a deadly element to it. And it's both of these things simultaneously. And, you know, maybe let's even like assume positive intent of flag waving granny. And she just kind of wandered in and didn't realize like that it's illegal to break into the Capitol. when she was like the 601st person going into the Capitol, right? She's still providing cover for these other people. She's still making it look more harmless than it really is because it's like a little bit of a, like a carnival for them. They're dupes within their own group. And I think that's kind of like sad, but also very, very dangerous and scary. So, you know, obviously we're not supposed to talk about politics on this podcast, but it's been a pretty crazy week and that was really rough and it still is completely insane. Looking at the tech side, I'm very, very happy they finally banned Trump on Twitter. I think there is a bit of a BS ex post facto to it, obviously, their explanation for it. Well, you know, these tweets said these words, but their his followers were interpreting them this way and they're planning new dangerous events based on it. I'm like, okay, well that could have been totally applied to the Gretchen Whitmer incident incident. Like he said these things and they did that to Gretchen Whitmer and you didn't bother deleting his account. Then it's very clear that they're just doing this now because they realize Trumpism is breaking and they can get away with it and he won't be able to do much to them. It's also clear that like he's already done his worst to a lot of them. Like, uh, they've already filed antitrust suits against Google and Facebook. Um, uh, not not Twitter yet. I don't know how they could pull that one off. But, uh, you know, so like a lot of their bending over backwards for the last four years was to avoid a doomsday scenario that's already happened. So at this point, they're like, all right, whatever. <laughs> so, you know, but all that being said, I do think it was the right thing to do to ban him. Uh, a friend of mine, you know, he's like, well, this is I get where they're coming from and not having ban him. The president is newsworthy inherently. And what the president says is news and they want the news to be on there. 
Uh, and I'm like, yeah, that's true. That's a circle. That's a circle that, you know, needs to be broken. But I really think do, first do no harm comes before all of these, you know, nice academic arguments. And then I have another friend that's like, well, I just wanted to watch him implode. And, you know, it's kind of a shame. I'm like, yeah, I really would love to watch him publicly implode too, but I'd also love to not have another coup attempt. (laughs) (laughs) So I don't, I understand these reasons why people think, or at least wonder if we shouldn't keep him on there, but I don't agree with them. I also, I, I, I kind (laughs) of, I kind of ranted to Emma last night about unintended consequences. She was mentioning some constitutional scholar that was going on about unintended consequences. And I was like, I don't care, man. Unintended consequences. See, here's the thing about unintended consequences, right? There are always unintended consequences of every action. They cannot excuse a necessary moral and important action that the action clearly immediately mitigates harm, right? The reason we talk about, you know, unanticipated consequences of our decisions is because they're proportional to the boldness and, and hugeness of our actions, right? The bigger, crazier things we do, the more potential for really big unintended consequences, right? So when you are talking about people that aspire to do big and great things in life, I really believe this, that the hubris that that brings, brings commensurately large unintended consequences, witness Facebook. But when you're talking about small, quick, rapid actions to stop immediate harm, like banning one asshole dude off a platform, yeah, there are still going to be unintended consequences, but there are going to be unintended consequences if you don't act as well. The decision is not momentous to like the scale that, you know, building Facebook is or something like that, like dent in the universe, bullshit, hubris, Steve Jobs thinking. I've really, I've really changed my ways in life as I've gotten older, (laughs) but you can't let that fear of unintended consequences stop you from making a small action now that can make the world better. That is my belief. And I know that's more philosophical than pure logic. I do, you know, I do think it's a logical belief, but being paralyzed into interaction based on unintended consequences is not, is no path. That's not a path. And Emma was like, well, that's not exactly what the guy said. He's a constitutional scholar. I'm not really quoting him. Right. I'm like, I I don't even know who he's, what his name was. So I'm, I don't mean to disparage that guy. It just sort of set me off on this, this rant about unintended consequences. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So that's the, uh, the, our political life this week. Uh, I figured I'd just get that out of the way up front. This is going to be a long one. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> I was talking to my mom the other day. My mom and I talk almost every other day now. It's nice. You know, she's got to talk to her granddaughter and everything. But uh, she was saying she listens to my podcast. And I was like, oh, you must have been psyched when I reorganized the podcast and put all the media consumption at the end. So you didn't have to hear about 30 experimental bands every week. She was like, yes, that was nice. Thank you. So, you know, uh, I listened to a lot of music in the last two weeks, just so much music. Uh, I spent a lot of time going through year end lists, everybody's best of list for the year. And I added a lot of those albums to my Spotify investigate playlist. And at one point it was 40 hours. So it's a little over 40 albums of music. I got through, I got through it all. I gave everything at least two listens. Uh, and you know, that took a lot of my time over the holiday. It was really satisfying. A lot of good music. People were right. Those bands and those best, uh, best of lists at the end of the year turned out to be really good. But my God, this is going to be a long podcast. I'm, I'm, I'm not kidding. <laughs> even, even before that, right? But so I guess we'll move on from the politics. Uh, I just, you know, it's, it's a crazy time. I'm glad. It's, even the last 24 hours have been so nice not being able to hear from that asshole, though. <laughs> like, I just, 
<laughs> he's still going to do some crazy stuff. I was pretty convinced he was going to pardon everyone that invaded the White House until there was a death of a law enforcement officer. I'm still pretty convinced he'll pardon everybody unless, except for those involved, directly involved in the death of the law enforcement officer. I think he's going to do it. Don't get me wrong. And I think he's going to pardon a bunch more crazy people in the next few days. And it'll all be on the Republicans because they didn't take him out of office. But we, we have more to come. But it is so nice that we don't have to listen to his stupid rants on Facebook. And I bet he'll try and do a rally somewhere, maybe even on Inauguration Day. That seems like his probably his next move. So we'll see how that goes. Anyway, uh, kitties. We have our two new kitties. They're increasingly becoming members of the family. Keely and Roy. Keely's a black or Keely's the calico. I shouldn't remember that. It's alliterative. And Roy is the black cat. Roy's a boy. Keely's a girl. We are two from the second litter of adopted kitties. We uh, are the foster kitties that we are watching. Um, they have mostly graduated out of the guest bedroom and are now roaming the house. Emma sort of locks them back up into the guest bedroom for the night. Um, and that's nice. You know, my mom can't come in January like we all wanted her to. And she does every year, obviously, because of COVID. Uh, but the goal when we were having the cats is like, we knew we we're like, my mom's going to be in that room in January. So we got to get these cats like grown up enough to be out of that room by January. So even though she's not coming, it's nice to know that we, we met that goal. <laughs> they could, they could definitely sort of roam the house now. Uh, Emma is trying to potty train them though. And so I don't know how that would have worked if my mom showed up because that toilet in there is currently filled with kitty litter, but I think she just would have done all that in another bathroom. If we, if mom was showing up you know, in the next week or two, but, uh, it's pretty funny. So right now we're trying to potty train. Emma's trying to potty train these two cats and we are trying to potty train Jane. And I actually think the cats might beat the, the human. <laughs> Jane has like zero interest. I mean, if you leave her diaper off and let her wander around, she will pee in the potty every time, but she will not poop. And I think she, I mean, you know, it's like this, this uh game of chicken like i know eventually she would just lose it and poop and then you know feel the like embarrassment and then we'd teach her how to go poop on the potty but like i also think she's gonna she would hold it in as long as she can and she did for like 18 hours one time and i'm just like yeah i don't feel comfortable force constipating my child <laughs> so i don't know my mom tells me that i was like not interested in being potty trained until one day i was like okay i'm gonna do this now and then i just did it in a day or two so i'm hoping that's what happens with jane but right now it looks like the cats are gonna become potty trained before jane does which i think is pretty funny they're nice though they've been chewing on cables less we've been letting them into my studio because obviously my studio is cable you know narnia i mean it's, well that'd be confusing it's like a cable wonderland in here so, but they've been getting better. They haven't been chewing on all the cables. They, they chewed through the cable on one of Jane's baby monitors. So I got to get a new one of those, but they're doing well. I, they're very snuggly. They're big. Kittens grow fast, man. You adopt these kittens and they're these small little snuggly things. And then they like get huge on you in like a week. It's pretty crazy, but they're still, uh, Roy is very snuggly. Roy likes me a lot, which is interesting. Cause I, I was the one that fell for Keely when she was a kitten and now she doesn't really care about me at all. It's a little bit of a bummer, but Roy likes me. He snuggles a lot. It's, it's cool. I'm into our cats. Uh, I'm back on my diet. It is January. Lost four pounds this week, which is a miracle given how much I drank, given the insanity of the world. Um, I drank frequently. I did not drink a lot. I drank three nights this week. Um, I did not drink on new year. I think I might have to drink on new year's like a, no, I don't think we had anything to drink on New Year's. 
Did we? Oh, no, that's not true. Uh, on New Year's, we rang in the New Year on Zoom with a bunch of friends. It was actually super fun. We put the, the Times Square ball on my office TV, and I sort of swung it out and swung the camera over so everybody else on Zoom could see me and Emma and the TV with the ball. So we all watched the ball drop together. And I had I had some uh, champagne of beers. I had two high lifes. And then I drank on, uh, <laughs> what's today, the 9th, the 6th, 7th, and 8th? Yeah, I drank on the Georgia night. I had like two glasses of wine. I drank on the coup night. I had like two glasses of wine. I drank last night. I had a tiny wine and two beers on the Zoom call with friends. So I drank four or maybe five nights of the last 14, which is more than I would like. So losing 14 or four pounds at all was kind of a miracle. If you ask me, I have been good about the diet part, the actual food consumption. I've been very good about the fast. The fast is the key. Uh, to recap for those of you that are new or don't remember the whole key to my diet, the whole most important thing is to not eat for 16 hours a day. Uh, that's just that, that just, for me, that's just all I got to do these days. I do more than that in my diet. I, you know, I avoid bread. I avoid cheese. I avoid sweets, except for 92% dark chocolate, <laughs> which is so bitter, but <laughs> it still makes you feel good. It's weird. But uh, yeah, it's going okay. Four pounds. Um, next week, I really plan on on crushing it. Uh, so that's good. We'll see. We'll see. Uh, given that there was a coup going on, I'm 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 proud of the four pounds. I'm proud of it. Uh, yeah. So Jane, she's doing well. Mostly awesome. Great kid. Uh, the one most annoying thing in the world is that she goes, Jane, do it over and over again when she wants to do something, and you're like, Yeah, cool. You can do it. I don't care. And then she just goes, Jane, do it, and doesn't do it, and it drives you crazy. And then eventually you crack and you get your own diet mountain Zevia out of the fridge. And then she freaks out on you. And I'm like, you could have done it, but you didn't do it. You just kept saying, Jane, do it. And you didn't do it. And now we're both standing here doing nothing for five minutes and it's ridiculous. And so I got to break this log jam somehow. So I'm getting my own diet mountain Zevia. And then she just screams and you're just like, this whole thing, there's no way out of it. I've tried talking my way out of it. I've tried being logical. I've tried waiting. I've tried helping. I feel like I'm missing something still, and it's very frustrating. But other than that, she's communicating more and more, um, more and more words all the time. She can do some good negotiating. She can do some basic math. She, I, we just ran through her punctuation again. She mixed up accent grave and accent agu, but did pretty well. Remembered the rest. Got her greater than and less than right. Uh, got city and circumflex and umlaut <laughs> and she knows the difference between an m dash and an n dash still we hadn't done punctuation marks in several weeks so it was nice it, it, it's nice that she remembers things so i have this fear right like uh like i don't remember anything from when i was three years old but like we learn things at that age and then we remember them forever like letters and so i don't know which is which when i teach her something i'm like is she gonna forget this like she forgets she forgets things that kids forget before they're four so, uh, you know, sometimes I'm like, okay, she learned that. But then I freak out if like, for a couple of weeks we haven't like run through it or something. I'm like, she's going to forget all about her accents. And I put so much work into getting her accents and she didn't. So that was nice. Same with the keyboards. We were doing the studio reorg and her and Emma were keeping me company one day over the holidays. And, uh, you know, I got the roads working and everything. Uh, we'll talk about that in a minute. But she remembered where A was and did A, B, C, D, E, F, G. So that was really nice. I'm like, okay, so this is still good. Uh, her breakfasts are getting very, very long. And it's kind of a problem because I'm I'm technically on work hours during her breakfasts, right? 
and uh, you know I'm there with Slack and most of it I'm just sitting there but she's got an interest in my phone and it's, it's a little rough it's pushing an hour now it used to be 30 minutes and it doesn't feel good <laughs> to like I'm kind of feel like I'm cheating work because in the old days it's like well whatever we start a little early we start at like 8.50 we're done by like 9.20 and yeah technically my work day starts at 9 but like you know I can cover those 20 minutes but now I'm like it's like 9.45 when she's done I'm like this isn't right and I don't know what to do about it I'm hoping she just speeds up again and it's a phase because everything's always a phase right but yeah other than that she's great bedtimes have been pretty pleasant uh, we're still doing Alaska 1, 2, 3 which, uh, I, I've worked it in pretty well now that it's not like and she's get, going through it quicker that's nice she stuffed all her stalling techniques with it so it, you know you can get the whole thing done in like 10 minutes now get the stuffed animals out of the crib bring them to the couch read the book count the ease of the animals as you read the book so you get to the page with the moose you got to hold up the moose and count the moose and then when you're done we put all the stuffed animals on the line of the arm of this couch and then she brings it back to the crib one by one ending with otter and then with otter we have to do this whole one act play where i go me 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 come give me a kiss jane and then she has to come over and kiss the otter and we have to do that like six times and then i'm like me 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 put me to bed jane and then she finally puts the otter to bed and uh it's that part <laughs> It's so tedious. But also, once I get to that part, that's the last annoying thing of the bedtime because she's already gotten her jammies and I've gotten the diaper changed and I've gotten her teeth brushed and all that. And I'm like doing this me, 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 and I'm so annoyed. But every time the absurdity of me pretending I'm this otter that she needs to come kiss, and I'm going, me, 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 no matter how bad of a mood I'm in, it just cracks at that moment because it's just so absurd. <laughs> I'm just like, me, 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 me. Come give me a kiss, Jane. And she just loves it so much. And she runs all the way across the room and runs over and gives the otter a kiss. And she's like, do it again, do it again. And like, so that always like, as annoyed as I get with Alaska one, two, three, once I get to otter time, I'm, I'm pretty into it. <laughs> uh, I haven't mentioned this in a while, but I'm still doing her letter to her once a month on her birthday. I always miss it by a day or two, but you know, end of each month. 27th, 28th, 29th, somewhere in there. I write like my 750 words for that day is a three page letter to Jane. And uh, I keep a separate book going, a separate Scrivener file. And so the plan is at some point, I don't know how old, like 18, 19, 20, 30. I don't really know what age she's going to be when I give it to her. It's going to depend a lot on like her maturity, my health, things, you know, like that. Or I'm going to wing it. I'm hoping I can keep it a secret, but I doubt I will. But you know, I will hand her this book and it'll be like a, a letter to her from each month of her life. And I think that'll be really fun. So I got that done in, over the holiday, right? I think uh, same day as the podcast last time. So, you know, got that done since I last talked to you guys. That was good. That was good. Uh, other projects. Let's see. I got one perfect time lapse in the last two weeks. It was great. It's the best one I ever did. I put it up on YouTube. Very happy about it. Um, messed up two good ones because I I use this app called Skyflow to do my time lapses. It's just better, like more granular controls than Hyperlapse or the built-in one on the iPhone. Um, you can do pans, you can do like different levels of, you can, as a timer, the timer is the biggest thing. Uh, Hyperlapse and the iPhone one don't have timers that you can set 12 hours in advance, right? So I need a timer because I, I set this thing up during the day, but it needs to sit there and not go off till six in the morning before sunset, sunrise. So yeah, I got one set up for tonight. Should be really nice. It's been raining a lot. So like, you know, I keep an eye on the weather and uh, only set it up when it's going to be sunny or partly sunny the next morning because I've ruined, you know, the phone's waterproof, but the cables aren't. And I've ruined like five lightning cords now. <laughs> 
and you have to leave it plugged in because it won't just sit there and turn on the timer is set for like 18 hours and the the phone needs to be on for the timer to go off if the phone's in sleep mode the timer doesn't go off so you have to leave the phone plugged in not in sleep mode so you got to use a cable and so it i keep ruining these lightning cables from the rain so i've gotten a lot better about only setting them up when days it's not going to rain I didn't do it last night because it was still raining when I went to bed, but this morning was such a beautiful sunrise and I was so bummed I didn't get it, but I'm, I'm, I'm feeling good about it this morning. This should be a good one. But yeah, so I got a YouTube channel. It has two whole videos up. There are two sunrise videos. Um, ties in a little bit with my obsession with watching YouTube all the time and all these YouTube content creators, but I don't think I'm going down that path. I just, you know, I already have an old YouTube channel. I have two YouTube channels now. I have... I should probably read, I know, maybe I can merge them or something. I should look into that, but I have like a bunch of old free spot stuff and live stuff from Coachella, things like that on my old channel. And, uh, you know, I was like, man, maybe I'll start fresh and just see how this goes. So there's two up there. They're very pretty. If you want to see our some of my sunrise time-lapse videos. Uh, yeah, I'm happy. That's a fun project. It's going well. I'm all done with the year end projects. Uh, that's how I spent the bulk. Well, half and half the bulk of my, my holiday, my vacation. It was a great vacation. I really enjoyed it. I got a lot done. I had, I had a little panic most of the vacation that, uh, I wasn't going to get everything done because I had maybe too much to do. I had the whole studio rewire and I had all the year end tasks and I was getting a little stressed. And then the Saturday before my vacation ended, I messed up and I thought it was Sunday and I was so bummed. I got everything done that day and my friend Abby on Facebook politely informed me it was only Saturday and it was the best because I was like, oh my God, I have a bonus day and I've finished all the tasks. So I had one day at the end, I just sat there and I played Civilization all day, which I have working on a new separate computer because it totally doesn't work on my nice, posh, expensive computer. Uh, and so that was really great. Like I got everything done and I had a day to just chill and I, uh, got over the anxiety of going back to work with that. And then of course on Monday, when I got back to work, Slack was down, which was a great way to ease yourself into the work week. <laughs> thank you Slack for being down on Monday. Millions of Americans. Thank you for that one. So yeah, it's a good vacation. Uh, I got the year in, I got all my photos sorted, several thousand photos that were in my camera uploads folder. I got my two sort folder on my desktop pro tip, keep a folder on your desktop called two sort. And then you just throw everything in there, worry about it later and keep your desktop clean. And I sorted that all out. I started the downloads folder. Uh, yeah, I got all that done. Um, I cleaned out the to investigate list in Spotify, like got that done, moved all the starred tracks from 2020 into a 2020 best of folder. Uh, I don't think that playlist is actually shared. I should do that for you guys. And then I started the new one and I moved them all into my favorite tracks folder. So that's my main folder for listening to music. Uh, I got the journals done, exported all my 750 words for the year. I might do about 700 pages, uh, got that laid out and put into a book form, set it off to get ordered. The books just arrived yesterday. So my journal is bound and printed for the year done. One will go in the library. One will go in the storage unit. Uh, yeah, that was good. That was a very hard, uh, it was not a good year, you know, <laughs> I'm a pretty chipper individual and I think I'm decently emotionally stable these days, but rereading all that, my dad passing and not being able to see my mom for like nine months, her not being able to see her granddaughter, uh, Andy Shea passing away, my friend, Andy Duffy passing away, Mark Orleans, a couple of other people, the babysitter that we used to use gone missing and presumed, I don't know, I'm not going to presume nothing yet. Just disappeared. That's very stressful and sad. Just like reading all that on top of the pandemic, on top of Trump, it was just like, Oh my, God, what a terrible year. I know people say that, but like, I don't recommend going rereading all your journals from the year. <laughs> we know it's a terrible year, but like, 
<laughs> you don't need to relive it. I, I regretted that, but it's done. Now it's on a shelf and I can put it away. Uh, sorted all my Captios. Captio is this app I keep on my phone reminder. And it's just uh, emails yourself. It's very easy. Minimalist app it's a way to email yourself reminders. I have them go to my inbox where I deal with them, but I also have them all go to Evernote where they just pile up because some of them might be song lyrics or good ideas. Some of them are drunken. Some of them Jane wrote. And so at the end of the year, I file them all in the appropriate Evernote folders and get rid of the, uh, the cruft. And uh, Evernote is so bad now. They didn't upgrade and it's just a terrible app. It's like a fake app now. It's not native. It doesn't have its own database on your computer anymore. It's syncs with the web for every note. It's super slow. It's just garbage. And it was so painful doing that task, but I got it done. So yay me. Uh, yeah, and I got a, uh, the when I die doc. I have this really long, complicated document for Emma when I die, like how to dispose of my stuff, passwords, finances, who are lawyers, how the book royalties work, how this works, how Stripe works, blah, 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 blah. Uh, and every year I update that document. I got that done. I had this long existential crisis about it because at the end of the document is like personal effects distribution. Like, you know, give this thing to my friend Og or whatever. And I don't like updating that part. That part makes, you know, doing the rest like, oh, our lawyer changed his phone number or whatever. That's easy, right? <laughs> but I didn't like doing this part. And I was looking at it. It was just all this stuff from like 20, 30 years ago. And I'm like, I just don't care, man. But I, then I realized I had this epiphany. I'm like, okay, well, th that's the stuff from before you and Amber were together. And she might not understand the significance of it. There's a weird bottle on a shelf in the library. Why does that matter? Why would somebody want it? You know, and you got to write that stuff down, but you don't actually have to maintain this anymore because you've been with Emma now for 10 years. And if something's in the house, she kind of knows, you know, like for example, an old roommate of mine, I like sent me this amazing, beautiful, like ceramic mug handmade that she made while she was listening to or reading, listening to one of my, my playlists. And she was like, thank you. And it was just wonderful. But Emma's here in my life now. And she, you know, I told, her about all my old about my old roommate Anna and she, now she knows what that mug is and she knows the significance and and I don't have to like write it down anymore she can just use her best judgment for these things if I were to die now you know because she's here she's part of it that being said another thing I do every year is I take photos of all the new things in the library all the new knickknacks and pieces of art that I got and uh, on Dropbox using the Dropbox commenting system I annotate them and I say what they are. So even if she didn't remember the details of that, she'd be like, oh yeah, that mug, right? Oh yeah, right, that's the one that Anna gave him. Okay, right, cool. And then, you know, and she's got access to my Facebook. She can ask Anna if she wants it or whatever, you know? Like she's in my life now. I don't need to dictate to her what to give stuff that I've acquired in the last 10 years when I've been with her. So I was, that was a big relief. I was like, I didn't want to do that task and it was really kind of bumming me out. And I was like, oh, I don't have to do this task anymore. So I just wrote a note at the, up top and I was like, these are the old things from here on out things that I have that you've been part of my life when we got, you can decide what to do with them. You know the deal. And it was just, it was like a weight lifted off of me. It was really nice. You know, uh, I got my media consumption list up on medium, all the movies I watch, all the TV, all the books I read, all the, all the, all the music. Uh, it was only 29 books this year which is kind of a bummer. You know, I like to do one a week and uh, I didn't quite make it. I didn't come anywhere close, but actually that, be, that being said, I did a lot better than I thought I was going to for a year that I just gave up on reading. Uh, it turns out a lot of it was because of Supreme court cases, things like that. Uh, I have a whole complicated uh, system of how many pages equals a book for things like court cases and blah, 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 and dissertations and stuff like that. But uh, I was like, okay, that's not too bad. I, you know, 29, I, I, I want to get back on track this year and try and get back to one book a year. I'm a week, one book a week. I, yeah, I think, I don't know. It's a weekend, a little bit less. I'm already behind, but you know, maybe we can pull it off. We'll see. 
we'll see. Uh, yeah, so I got all that stuff done. Uh, gardening's going well. Uh, compost is awesome. I'm going to go out there and turn it and add to it tomorrow. And uh, it's nice. It steams. It's warm in the, in the cold. And it's... <laughs> I did a bunch of paper shredding and put the paper in there. So it was getting a little wet and you need a little bit of more carbon nitrogen balance was off, you know? And, uh, but yeah, it's really good. I'm very excited about my compost pile. <laughs> <I> just... <laughs> it's awesome, man. It's a good compost pile. And the leaf mold compost is coming great too. Uh, I wish I got more leaves though. Next year I'm going to, I don't know how yet, but I'm going to get, I'm going to at least three times as many leaves in my leaf mold compost next year. That's my promise to myself. Uh, and then I've got a whole plan now to like start the seedlings in Narnia in like a couple weeks. So I'm going to order one of those wire shelves. I got some awesome grow lights from my friend, Nick, and I got a ton of seeds from, you know, uh, Baker's Baker Creek and Johnny seeds to the big popular, reputable organic seed companies. And, uh, I got the seed trays and everything. And I'm just going to get that going. So that'll be very excited. I got a ton of stuff for next year. I've got a lot of plans. It's very, it's very exciting. I'm going to make a trellis for the tomatoes across the patio. Emma's going to lose it. I need to, I, I need to start preparing her for that mentally. <laughs> oh, it's going to be great. It's going to be great. Uh, yeah. And, uh, I got like five radishes. That's kind of crazy. So last year in the fall, I had one little six tray, you know, two by three, six little seedling trays. I planted six radishes. I might've done two trays. Let's call it 12 to be generous. And I cut five radishes and I didn't even pay attention. I just sort of grew in the seed trays, transplanted them and forgot about them for months. And then I had these awesome radishes. I'm like, this is awesome. Winter crop. My broccoli still growing outside. It's looking great. I haven't harvested yet. And I got awesome garlic growing in the winter. And in the garage, I got all my basils growing. I got a couple pepper plants. The rest of the pepper plants are overwintering. Uh, it's going great, man. Gardening in the winter is fun. It's, it's pretty cool. I'm, I'm into it. I'm into it. And then the biggest thing has been the studio. So I did a whole rewiring system. I got a new audio interface. I got a Fostec Claret. No, I'm sorry. Focusrite Claret USB 8. Uh, eight channel inputs uh, with expandable to 16 with ADAT and to 18 with SPDIF, but I don't use SPDIF, I use ADAT. I have an eight channel ADAT breakout box input made by Behringer, the A8200. So uh, the point of that is I have 16 inputs now. I used to have about eight inputs. Rewired everything. Everything could go directly in. I didn't have to use this keyboard submixer I used to use to put a lot of my synthesizers on. Um, but one thing I had to like, uh, like one sad thing is I have come to the undeniable conclusion that my Farfisa is broken. The hum is getting louder and louder. It's just too big. It's, it's terrible. So I spent a lot of time over the holidays trying to find somebody locally that could repair a Farfisa. I found a guy that's up for trying. He's about an hour away east of Raleigh. So uh, I'm going to use Uber Courier. I think I'm going to try next week and get this. The guy says he's up for it and send the Farfisa to him. And uh, hopefully he can fix it. But uh, so I took that out of the system and rearranged things. And um, I really hope I, I, hope, I hope it gets fixed. I, I, like, I love that thing. It sounds great. Sean pointed me to this new Yamaha, very inexpensive vintage organ keyboard that has a Farfisa in it. And so if this thing is busted, I'm just going to buy one of those because I, I love the Farfisa sound and I like it to be a physical instrument, not a software instrument, because I like to run it through actual guitar pedals, hardware. So yeah, we'll see how that goes. But the rest of the studio all worked pretty well. And the best thing that happened is that, you know, the Fostex, unlike my old 
audio interface, which was a uh, Universal Audio Apollo Twin Duo. Uh, that has much better preamps than the Fostex, but I don't really care about preamps right now. Uh, I'm going to do something about preamps eventually. I might buy one. I don't know. But um, uh, one good thing about it is it has outputs on it. So what I've done is I have one of the outputs on the Claret goes to this is so cool i got a little a nice nice cart right like a rolling cart made out of metal really solid nice wheels just a really good american industrial cart and uh it slides perfectly under my desk underneath the audio interface and on it now i have a bunch of old guitar pedals and a power supply so from the audio interface a out signal cable goes into the pedals through the pedals and then back into one of the channels on it so what i can do now is when i'm recording in logic i've always wanted to do this and i could never do it with the the apollo twin even though it's a it's a higher end interface. It's fewer inputs with no outputs. So it was like never well, it has the two outputs for the monitors, but not extra ones. So it's never really an option, but I learned how to do this. I watched a bunch of videos on it and I set it up and now I can use analog guitar pedal effects on a digital track in logic. And that is very exciting for me. And, uh, it's just the way my brain thinks when I'm recording and I've always wanted to do it. So it's all set up and it's on this cart and it's so cool. I can just turn on the effects in logic and I can pull out the cart and I can play with the knobs on the pedals while the song is recording. And I'm just so excited about it. I can't wait to try it. I did not, of course, actually get around to making any music yet, but, uh, that's coming soon. I promise I did. I recorded a little bit as I was testing, but yeah, it's awesome. It makes me really happy. And the other great thing about the Claret versus the old Universal Audio is that it it doesn't require the software running on the computer to play the audio. So all my instruments are plugged into it and they're on and you can play them and it'll play through my monitors even if this app isn't running on the computer. And that sounds weird, but it has this, it's called like direct play or something. Um when the app is running and you set everything up, it writes that setting to the audio interface. So if the app closes, the audio interface still has the settings in it. That was not the case with the universal audio. So whenever I wanted everything to play, I had to remember to run this really janky ass, like OS X application made by universal audio just so I could hear things. And I kept forgetting or it kept quitting and it was just so annoying. And I'm like, I didn't know that focus, right. was better about this when I bought it, but I'm just very excited about it. So that is very exciting. The other thing is I got this new scanner, just like a cheap, I don't know, like $70 Canon scanner. It's the newer version of the one I had before. It's the Lighty 400. I used to have the Lighty 60, so it's been a while, I guess. Uh, and it's, I scanned this photo of Jane, I'm, not, I'm sorry, of Emma when she was a child. Looks a lot like Jane. And it scanned in like two seconds. It was amazing. It was like, this is, oh my God, it's like 4,800 DPI. It's on my old one, which is like 1,200 DPI. And now I want to scan every photo again. But I've never had anywhere to keep this thing. So what I've been doing with the old one is like, I leave it in the closet. And whenever I want to scan a photo, I had to take it out of the closet, bring it over the computer, plug it into USB. It was so annoying. But as I was doing this thing with this cart and these pedals, I was like, this cart is exactly the right size for this scanner. And I was like, oh, and I have room over here for another one. So I ordered another cart. It hasn't showed up yet. But I'm going to have a little scanning cart to my left under the desk as well. And I'm so excited about it. I can't even tell you these, these carts are really making my life much, much, much happier. I know that's very capitalistic of me, but ooh, if you can find joy in a metal cart, man. <laughs> uh, yeah. So then, uh, yeah, I got a lot. Of, I fixed a lot of other stuff up. I have these things called Buddha boxes. Have you ever heard of those Buddha? Like, you know, the Buddha, B U D D H A. There's little boxes about the size of a cigarette box and it's got a little switch on it and they make sounds or like they're different artists made them and it's got a speaker on it and they're made out of plastic. 
and uh, you know, it's made by this company called EHM, I think. And I have one that's a throbbing gristle one, and one's by this other artist. And you turn them on, they just make noises, and that's it. And um, I got them working, and I got the batteries replaced, and they worked. So I ordered some custom power supplies for them, and I have them all hooked into the system now. And then I have uh, one of those old cigarette amps. Do you know about these? They're called smoky amps. They're like the size of a cigarette box. Uh, in fact, they're put into cigarette boxes. Mine's an American Spirit Yellows because that's what I use to smoke. I bought it back when I was a smoker. Um, and mine was pretty beat up. And I was like, ah, I'll just get another one. These things are like 20 bucks. They're like novelty items. But they're not for sale anywhere on the internet anymore. I think maybe because of the cigarette thing, like it's considered bad. Smoky Amps, the company still exists. And they nominally make this amps the same size, but they don't sell them in cigarette boxes anymore. You're supposed to use your own cigarette box, I guess. I, I don't know. But uh, they have a new website and you can't buy them there. There's none on eBay. It's really weird. And I was like, well, maybe my old one works. So I got like that clear sealant tape and I sort of taped the whole thing back up and got it work like sort of back in shape and I put a battery in it and I plugged in the guitar and it worked. <laughs> I was like, oh my God. So I wired it in with a eight volt connector into one of my pedal power supplies and I wired it into the effects send receive of the keyboard submixer <laughs> sounds so weird but anyway i can now add this sort of smoky amp distortion to all my weird little synth toys like the the you know like the stylophone and the casio sk5 and stuff like that it's got an effects loop now that just like has boot or smoky amp distortion and i'm like this is so awesome it just makes me so happy it makes me so happy everything works and it's awesome except for the farfisa which is a total bummer and i had this other revelation now i got these power supplies for the buddha boxes and the casio sk5 and i realized i have this amazing label maker and i've never the two like why did it never click in my brain the two need to come together right because what happens in your life is you end up getting all these power bricks and you don't know what they're for because these companies buy cheap chinese oem power bricks to sell you with your items or you bought one separately and you know it's not labeled with the company on it and i'm just going to start using the label maker on them i'm actually literally going to do it after this podcast and i'm so excited i'm going to start labeling power supplies i can't even tell you it's going to be the best it's going to be the best so all that's done the big question now still is right over there on that wall do i buy the big wall mounted modular shelving unit for a couple grand and do that and i'm still debating it i don't know i can't pull the trigger on it i'm hoping there's some sort of special 25 percent off special i would do it for 25 percent off but uh yeah still holding out on that one we will see we will see but these two carts that i got they both have like the top level where the guitar pedals or the scanner goes and they have a big basket underneath so that's got me a little bit more storage room in the studio and the other thing is inspired by adam savage and his youtube videos about his man cave and his, his organization system is i have this rolly desk cart that i've had forever and it was just overflowing with stuff but i realized i could use the edges of it for stuff so like i hated this cart because i couldn't ever find like the apple tv remote in it or a measuring tape or something so i started clipping everything to it using either the clips or getting special plastic holders or magnets and around the sides of it and it's just been life-changing i i you know i almost want to post a photo of it but it's got like my leatherman and my measuring tape the ac remote the apple tv remote you know like my like um, my digital measurer thing like they're all clipped around the side of it now and it's just so much better and i everything i need quickly i can just reach it and it's really made organization in the studio a lot better and it's made me a lot more functional so that's been really nice as well the studio is just really it's it's a nice place to work now the little things that you do when you've been in it for a year instead of before where it was like i was only part-time working in the studio now i'm working in here all the time so that's good that is good Whew. 
I think that's about it. Work is going well. Um, <laughs> we still have the drama of IDFA, Apple's privacy changes. They did the privacy labels. That's fine. We don't have anything weird on our privacy labels. Didn't really affect us. No problems. The new year hit. Advertising revenue obviously is never as good in January as it is during Christmas time. Our revenue was great right up until December 31st through then at midnight, boom, it went to like almost nothing. It's, it's bouncing back slowly now and that's happened every year and we can kind of project it out. But there's a second wave of the Apple privacy change stuff happening in January and I support it all, but it's just unclear what's going to happen to the whole market. We're compatible with it. We don't, you know, we don't know like ethical problems with it or anything, but uh, it's unclear what's going to happen to the ad market as a whole and whether, the, you know, we'll be able to make as much money as we do. So it's kind of like we're living in a little bit of a limbo and Apple being Apple, they don't feel the need to tell anybody what day it goes into effect. So that's awesome. So yeah, you know, we got hiring plans and things like that and things are going great, but I kind of need to like get through that hurdle before we do anything else. So we'll see. We'll see. Yeah. Here we are 45 minutes in and we're just getting to the media and there's so much of it. And I don't feel, I don't feel great about rushing at all. So you know what? I'm going to take a two minute break. I'll be right back. If you don't care about media, you can you can end the podcast now. But if you care about music, then uh, I got a lot of stuff I'm going to talk about next. Okay, so uh, hold, please. I was gonna like go find one of my instruments and play that, but I was like, oh, I'm gonna learn it. And I gotta never mind. Hi, welcome back to the podcast. Now we're gonna talk about media. So much media, media. Anyway, uh, sold only two things on Discogs, which I thought was interesting. I sold uh, this compilation called All Saints Calling. Uh, it's from a record label that it was run. It's sort of an ambient record label called All Saints. It was run by Roger Eno, Brian Eno's brother. Uh, and uh, one of the band has, you know, Harold Budd, people like that. Holger, no, not Holger, Laraji. And it has this band called Channel Light Vessel. And Channel Light Vessel is an ambient supergroup of Roger Eno, Kate St. John, uh, LaRaji, and Bill Hassel. And uh, I had their album Automatic, and I really liked it. And so I listened to that again, and then I listened to the other Channel Light Vessel album, and I'm just like, it's not as good. But um, it's called Excellent Spirits is the other Channel Light Vessel album. But Automatic is a beautiful record. I had really forgotten about that. So whoever sold or bought that All Saints Calling compilation from me, thank you for reminding me about Channel Light Vessel. What a beautiful band. Uh, and then I sold the Plastic Man album, the second album, I think, called Music, which is fine because I own that on Triple LP already. So farewell, Plastic Man. Got a lot of vinyl in the mail, just stuff I had ordered months in advance, things like that. Uh, it's like everybody felt like they needed to get their vinyl arrived by the end of the year or... I suspect once all the holiday packages got delivered, the UPS started to play catch up on the rest of it. And I don't know, whatever, a ton of stuff came in. Uh, the slow dive in your room, red swirly vinyl. Oh no, I'm sorry. Orange vinyl. Uh, beautiful record. Uh, has Allison on it. It's an EP. Great record. Uh, Nina Simone, Emergency Music. Uh, that was just one of my, my favorite live Nina Simone album. A lot of Beatles covers. My Sweet Lord, Isn't It a Pity, uh, Solo John, stuff like that. Just great record. Uh, just one amazing night of live music. I, I, I listen to it all the time, and I just love it. Stars of the Lid, the Ballasted Orchestra. Uh, Stars of the Lid are this amazing ambient group that I just love so much, and I, I sold that a while ago, or one of their albums on CD, and I was like, I don't own this, and I've been listening to it today, actually. It's just... 
double LP. It's amazing. I'm on side four and I forgot how good it was and how amazing they were live. I really miss that band. Uh, you know, one of the two guys in stars of lit is a new band that I listen to a lot too lately called the winged victory for the sullen. And they're really great, but, uh, just old classic stars of the lid. You can't go wrong, man. Ballasted Orchestra. It's on Spotify. It's a great record. Uh, on a lark, I bought the BoJack Horseman soundtrack on vinyl. It's a, kind of a cotton candy splatter kind of colored thing. It's uh, pretty good. A lot of good music in that show. <laughs> it's got like it's got the theme to Peanut Butter's TV show, Mr. Peanut Butter's TV show. It's got the BoJack Horseman TV show. It's got both versions of the you know the theme song to BoJack Horseman. The back in the nineties, I was in a vi- and then the like the, the, the pool scene one uh it's got really one randomly coincidentally one amazing nina simone song on it and it's got a lot of good music on it it's cool oh like the music from the the episode underwater where he didn't talk that's just all this beautiful sort of ambient sort of like the orb it's oh, it's great great record turned out to be way better than i expected accidentally bought a second copy of after by mount erie the live album uh I did not mark it in Discogs that I owned it, so I thought I didn't, and I bought it, and I was listening to it, and I was filing it away, and there's already a copy there. So, yeah, if you want that on double vinyl, let me know, but I'm going to probably put it up on Discogs in the next week or so. Uh, I got a vinyl copy of Lowe's Christmas EP. I've owned the CD forever, but I think I sold it, and I really wanted the vinyl. They made a new edition this year, but it sold out in like two seconds, and I was mad. I went to Discogs, and there was an affordable copy of the first edition on vinyl, so I bought that black vinyl, but just great record. Listen to it again today. My favorite Christmas EP, aside from my own, of course. Uh, And I bought two singles by some bands I like, Opal. Uh, Opal is Kendra Smith and Dave Roback. Dave Roback was in a band before Opal called Rain Parade. And after Opal, he was in a band called Mazzy Star. And uh, the whole story of Mazzy Star is that Opal was on tour and uh, Kendra Smith quit mid-tour. And Hope Sandoval was Dave Roback's girlfriend and she was there. So she just sang for the rest of the tour and they're like okay this works and opal then became mazzy star so i don't know how much you know about opal they're a great band and uh, i have all their records but i didn't have all their singles and so i bought the northern line single i did not own i found a good copy of that and uh, at the same place you know i've got my want list so when i'm buying one thing from a company i look and see what else they have and they had a unopened sealed original pressing of the galaxy 500 fourth of july 12 inch for like eight dollars or something i mean under 20 it was cheap and uh so i bought that because i didn't have that on cd and i do have the cd i i do have the cd single but i didn't have it on vinyl and uh so that just came in and i opened it today it was so weird like opening a record from like the 90s the early 90s and it was like the plastic is different and i was like opening i was like i remember opening things with this kind of plastic but you know it's kind of crumbly in your hands and it's not like the smooth polyvinyl that you keep records in today and it was a weird sensation, man. Uh, but, you know, I listened to it in the B-side. Here she comes now. Uh, you know, the Velvet Underground cover. Great record. I love Galaxy 500, man. I'm really glad I got to see them once before they broke up. Good band. So that's all the vinyl that came in in the last two weeks. And now we'll talk about all the records I listened to. Timothy Duval. I'm sorry, Duval Timothy. Help is the name of the album. It's classically ambient. And then there's another one, Slave. Uh, it's like an atonal thing. It's got some spoken word in there about like racism and uh, sort of like capitalism and stuff, but mostly ambient classical. Tim, uh, Duval Timothy. I liked both of those albums a lot. 
Rina Saiwa, Sawayama. The album's called Sawayama. I don't know anything about her. Uh, it was really good. It was weird. Needs a. Little, uh, it says it needs a re-listen. That was my notes from before I re-listened to it. I remember it now. It's clubby. It's a little bit R&B. It's a little bit glitchy. It's very strange. Uh, it was a great record. Really into it. Sawayama by Rina Sawayama. Kate NV. Don't know anything about her, but I, I really like this record. Room for the Moon, it's called. Uh, you know, it's kind of poppy, atmospheric, upbeat, but also a little bit boring. After three listens, I was like, this is a good record and I'm interested in it, but I ended up not starring any tracks by the end. So I don't know. I would definitely hear more of what Kate NV has to say, though. It was a good record. Uh, Lyra Pramuk, Fountain. That Fountain. That sounded awesome. I really like that record a lot. Again, didn't star a lot of songs off of it, but solid record. Would Don't know much about her. Um, a lot of these later ones, I would like, as I was listening to them, I would go and look them up on Wikipedia and stuff like that. But I didn't do it for Lyra Promix, so I don't know what their deal is. But it was a good record. Uh, Magic Markers 2020 is the name of the record. That was awesome. So Magic Markers, um, yeah, they're like kind of part of the new weird American movement. My sister used to be in a band in the new weird American movement called Sunburn Hand of the Man. I used to hang out with all these people like back in the uh, aughts, late, no, the tens, I guess, like two, uh, no, the aughts, 2002, three, four, stuff like that. Uh, and I kind of, you know, I, they knew my name. I knew theirs because I would go to a lot of Sunburn shows and they're all friends. And uh, But I didn't really know them, but I liked them. They were nice people. And uh, I've been listening to them a lot lately. I know I've mentioned them before, but the, uh, their album 2020 showed up on a bunch of best of lists. Earlier in the year, I was listening to their stuff they were making at home, and it was great. But I missed that they made this whole other album called 2020, and it was awesome. Uh, very different from their old stuff. A little bit more punk, a little bit more like songs, vocals, not as uh, complete uh, experimental freak out, sunburn style. But it was awesome. And speaking of sunburn, apparently there's a documentary up. On Facebook, I, I got the link, but I can't really figure out how to watch it. A friend of mine texted me and <laughs> showed me all these photos of my sister in the documentary. So uh, that's pretty cool. But uh, I haven't watched it yet. So I got to figure that out and watch this Sunburn Hand of the Man documentary that my sister's in. We shall see. Special Interest Dance Punk Band. They're awesome. Uh, maybe. They're awesome. I don't know what they're like as people, but I enjoyed it. Sort of like a new version of The Rapture. They had two albums that I listened to, The Passion of and Spiraling, and I was really into them, and they seemed very clever, and I hope they're woke. It's hard to tell, but I assume they are. We're going to give them benefit of right now. Special interest. Good band. Beatrice Dillon. Uh, the album was Workaround, and it's like mellow, twerky, electronica. I enjoyed it. Uh, not my favorite one of the batch, but it was interesting. Beatrice Dillon workaround, uh, Barty's strange. I don't know anything about this band, but they were pretty cool. Uh, <laughs> I listened to two other albums. I think it, actually I looked him up. That's why right. he's a guy and he's, yeah, you know, he's okay. Yeah. This guy, this guy's awesome. He, um, born in like the Midwest South, uh, like o Oklahoma, maybe or something like that. And, but he's like, uh, yeah, I don't know. He's like, this like sort of like it's noisy dub, a guitar, but it's like interesting, but it's weird. A lot of different songwriting styles. Very clever. This guy's good, man. Uh, I don't you know. You know, I, I was impressed. Uh, live forever was like kind of more like a noisy dub one. Say goodbye to pretty boy. It was more like a, like a, my W hotel in a more better universe playlist style, but I liked him both a lot uh i'm into Barty strange kelly lee owens inner song uh that was more like melodic drone electro on my w hotel lobby playlist type stuff uh it was fine it's not my thing but it was good nubia garcia source almost pure jazz it was well done pure jazz but i'm not a jazz guy so i'm not qualified to talk about it 
Uh, oh, I got this on vinyl too. Uh, Mazzy Star Ghost Highway. I think I talked about it last week, but I, the vinyl came in our last episode. And I listened to that finally, which is a live Mazzy Star reissue. Uh, it was awesome. I miss seeing Mazzy Star live so much. I saw them like nine times. I did see the reunions, but I just, oh my God. It's a real shame. Dave Roback passed away recently, so there's no more seeing Mazzy Star. That's <sighs> oh, so sad. Uh, Amaray, the angel you don't know. Don't remember that one at all. I listened to it twice. Didn't star a lot of tracks, so I can't tell you anything about it. Jesse Ware, what's your pleasure? Poppy, really into it. She was good. I think it's a she. <laughs> I really did try and spend time with each one of these and give it a a a, a fair shake. So, but I, I ended up starring like four tracks from the Jesse Ware record. It was cool. It was like poppy, clubby a little bit, but R and B a little bit. But it was good. It was good. Eve's tumor. Eve, Y-V-E-S, Eve, not E-V-E apostrophe S. Eve Toomer, Heaven to a Tortured Mind. Uh, didn't like it that much. People people liked that one, but I wasn't really a big fan. And then this one was kind of a disappointment. So Gail Ann Dorsey. Uh, Gail Ann Dorsey, do you, do you guys know who Gail Ann Dorsey is? She is a session musician, and she's played with everyone. She was Bowie's bassist, most famously. But I first encountered her on in a band called Echo Belly who was opening for Ian McCulloch in around 1994 at Axis in Boston. And I was like, that basis is amazing. And I like looked her up and her name was Gail Ann Dorsey. I was like, well, she rules. And she was in all these bands through the years. I've seen her in like play with like four or five different acts of the years. Uh, I think tears for fears. I saw her with Bowie. I saw her with anyway. Um, she turned out, I was reading about her the other day cause she came up for some reason. I was explaining to my sister, the, 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 the mythical Gail Ann Dorsey, and I was looking at her Wikipedia page and I realized she had her own album and I was like, really? And so I listened to it. It's called, I used to be dot, dot, dot. And it was not good. Kind of a bummer. Gail Ann Dorsey is amazing in every way, but except her own album. <laughs> kind of a bummer. Uh, I listened to the other Ashavita album that I bought on CD as one of one. I liked it a lot better than the first one. It's very good. Uh, Ashavita, of course, Michigan Space Rock. I'm obsessed with Michigan Space Rock. Strong recommend. Um, I'm going to sell that CD, so if you want it, let me know. Or if you want a copy. Leon Bridges, The Good Thing. Uh, so Leon Bridges is like a R&B guy. He's really good. I discovered him because he was playing over the end credits of one of the episodes of Lovecraft Country that I watched several months ago. Put in my playlist, loved the song in Lovecraft Country, which is full on gospel. And I was hoping that like all this stuff was like full on gospel y, and it's not. It's a uh, more R and B, more modern. And it's good, it's chill, um, but it wasn't what I was looking for. But I really liked it. I will listen to more Leon Bridges. Christine and the Queens, La Vida Nova, kind of pretty, pretty straight ahead. Nothing really remarkable in my mind about that album, but it was good. Uh, Burn a Boy, Twice as Hell, Reggae, not my thing. I don't like reggae. I can't help it. I try, but I give it a shot. Uh, Lomelda, Hannah. Lomelda was cool. Uh, I get Lomelda and Loma mixed up. But <laughs> Ooh, I also listened to this week. But uh, the album is called Hannah. Oh, yeah. Hannah is Lomelda, right? Yeah, that's her name. Okay, I remember this one. Yeah, this is good. It's a song. It's songs. It's a band doing songs. <laughs> Oh my God, dude. Oh my God. So I don't know, half hour ago or something. <laughs> I said that Hannah Lomelda was a band doing songs and I laughed at myself cause that should have been obvious. And I started coughing. And so I paused the mic and I cut out the cough so you wouldn't have to hear me cough. 
And then I started up again and started recording, except I didn't actually hit record. So I just talked about like 20 albums and you didn't hear any of it. And now I got to do it again. Oh my God. Okay. All right. I guess we're going to do this again. Here we go. (laughs) So now if it's rushed a little bit, you got to forgive me because I literally did all of this to the second to the last one of this entire list, a band called Hub. And that's a great story. And I hadn't told it yet. So at least by the end of this, there will be a great story coming. But where we left off was Hannah by Lomelda. And I said, it's a band doing songs and laughed because that should be obvious. But it's not because sometimes they're orchestral or solo artists and it has lyrics and it was good. And the songs, it was a rock band doing songs and it was fine. Whatever. So we're moving on now. Porridge Radio. I've talked about them a lot because I loved their new album last year. I thought it was one of the best albums of the year. So I finally got around to listening to their album before this. It's called Rice Pasta and Other Fillers. It was really great. It's ironic because it actually did have some filler in it. And then I said that uh, I'm not going to keep doing that. I'm not going to keep doing Then I said, I'm going to try and do this again. Like I hadn't done it already. Oh, this is so painful. Anyway, uh, Portage Radio, man, they really feel like a band that uh, just arrived on the scene fully formed, but I haven't investigated them, so I assume that they are in other bands beforehand. Drama, Dance Without Me, that was an awesome record. It was very good. It was dramatic. (laughs) I didn't make that joke the first time. Uh, very solid. Uh, and then there's this band called Calliope and I couldn't figure out where I had heard them or why they were on my list. When I was listening to them, I thought they were, somebody had said they were one of the best bands of 2020. Right. And as I was doing this podcast the first time, 20 minutes ago, I realized where I had heard of them. But anyway, it was weird because the first song of the album is called Detroit girls. And the chorus is Detroit girls are crazy, but not for me. And I was like, this is pretty problematic, dude. Does anybody write music like this in the year 2020? And I went and looked it up and like, in fact, no, the album is from 2002. And I was like, okay, that makes a lot more sense. So it's just a very competent band doing, you know, indie rock in 2002. And it's got a little bit of shoegaze elements to it. There's stuff to be, there's stuff that's good about this Calliope record, but I couldn't figure out why I was listening to it, but I think I figured it out. And I think I, it was mentioned in the Wilco book. Uh, as I have mentioned before, I was reading how to write one song by Jeff Tweedy. And the next album that I'm mentioning to you here is an album called magic ship by a band called mountain men. And in the Jeff Tweedy book, he mentioned that their song Bang Tang Wing 2 was a incredibly moving song for him and he became obsessed with it. And one of his better known solo songs was a ripoff of Bang Tang Wing 2 by Mountain Man. And I remember listening to it and he's right. They're like a trio of women doing kind of folky stuff. They're just beautiful. I'm really obsessed with Mountain Men. But I think that's why I was listening to Calliope. I don't think any friend of mine told me to listen to it or it was on anybody's best of the year list. I think it was in the Jeff Tweedy book, which would make a lot of sense because he was talking about something old. Anyway, they seem like a pretty great band, but they're, you know, it's dude rock in a way that you don't want to really listen to in the year 2020. Then I listened to King Missile's old album, Mystical Shit and Fluting on the Hump, because they played Detachable Penis on Lithium on XM Radio. Whenever they play the Smiths or Morrissey on First Wave on XM Radio, we go change the channel because I'm sick of the Smiths and Morrissey's an asshole. And they're playing. So we listen to a lot of Lithium lately, which I find very interesting because I know all the new wave music forward and backward, but there's a lot of stuff in the grunge era I don't really know because I wasn't listening to a lot of grunge. I was listening to like Noise and Shoegaze and Britpop. And anyway, so, but they played King Missile. And I was like, oh my God, I miss them. So I went and listened to 
mystical shit again for the first time in years and it was great great record i really liked the song about the couple that kept having lots of sex and couldn't stop and <laughs> that was just a great spoken word song i'd forgotten all about it was great uh then this band loma uh it was really good self-titled l-o-m-a it's got a woman singer it really reminded me of early dead can dance there's a song on there called waves of joy that was just beautiful strong recommend on loma svalbard when i die will i get better amazing sort of the orchestral shoegaze metal genre where the death metal meets the shoegaze which is extremely my thing these days and i'm super into like shoegaze with weird wailing falsetto dude metal lyrics over it which is what svalbard is and if you're into it a plus man <laughs> i just love it auburn lull haifa auburn lull of course one of the michigan drone bands that i'm always obsessed with i've talked a lot about their first album alone i admire but I never listened to their last album before and I found it on Spotify and I was like, this is great. So I listened to that. And coincidentally, the next album on my queue was Billow Observatory, their most recent album, Three Chroma Contour. Billow Observatory, of course, is one of the more ambient, sparse bands on Ghostly International. Ghostly International, of course, is famously a Michigan-based label even though Sam's mostly in New York these days, but they're, you know, they're a Michigan label. And, uh, you know, I really consider Billow Observatory as sort of the tie between Ghostly and the Michigan drone scene. So that was really nice listening to those back-to-back, coincidentally. Just a very beautiful time. And then I listened to Kate Bush, The Sensual World, which I had never really given a solid listen to. I was into early Kate Bush, Kick Inside, Hounds of Love. Very obsessed with Hounds of Love. Uh, and then, you know, so I was very excited when we went to see Kate Bush in London and they played the entire ninth wave second half of hounds of love in its entirety and then you know i like tried to get into her again with around eat the music era didn't really like it and then i got into her again later with ariel and then 50 words for snow and all that but i never really listened to the central world and it's just a beautiful record and i don't know why i never did really really enjoyed it it's probably my favorite kate bush record now lakeshore drive free yourself up lakeshore drive is a rock band doing rock songs and i enjoyed it a little bit of shoegaze overtones pretty upbeat solid stuff benjamin booker uh witness kind of bluesy black guy cool guitar a little bit of psych elements a little bit of droney a little bit garage rock uh i really like it benjamin booker it seems awesome and i want to know more about him black books can't even even black books is a pretty solid modern shoegazy uh band uh i would say more in the american sort of shoegaze genre of like sort of american football or the gloria record or smashing orange uh, so yeah, I really enjoyed that. Dan Richard, new breed. I have absolutely no recollection of, which means I assume I didn't like it the first time around and deleted it. So I never gave it a second chance. Feel bad about that. Tamarin, uh, dreaming in the dark. I should have loved this. It's a dark synth poppy record. I love synth pop, especially dark synth pop. Not like, you know, VNV nation, but like, uh, churches or something like that. And it's up in that alley, but I, I, I did start like one track, but it wasn't, it didn't really move me completely or anything. Alistair Roberts, Songs of My Boyhood. Uh, this guy's like English, Irish or Scottish or something. He's got an accent, moody folk. Uh, I was listening to him one day and I mentioned it in my Facebook post and a friend of mine was like, my boyfriend's obsessed with him and you have to watch all his videos, but I haven't done that yet. So I got to get around and do that. He reminded me a lot of Brendan Perry from Dead Can Dance which got me thinking about Brendan Perry from Dead Can Dance. And uh, I, he's always been in my back of my head a lot because I'm really obsessed with that song, American Dreaming, on the last, well, not last anymore, but uh, a previous Dead Can Dance album that was really essentially a Brendan Perry solo song. When I saw Brendan Perry solo at the Paradise, he played American Dreaming. It's just a great song. And I've always thought about covering it because Brendan Perry really has my voice and I could, I could totally nail that song, you know? And so anyway, I was going to listen to his last solo album. And then I went up there and there's a new one and it was called Songs of Disenchantment. 
music from the Greek underground. And it's exactly what it sounds like. It's Brendan Perry doing a bunch of like Greek uh, anarchist and drinking songs. And uh, I like it in principle, but I only started one track. <laughs> it's pretty weird. And then I listened to Paul McCartney's new album, McCartney three. Uh, there's some stuff on there is really amazing. Some songs are as good as uh, he's ever written. I really like the weird dancey instrumental opener. And, uh, you know, his voice sounds like the voice of like a 70 plus year old man. Like it's definitely, he's feeling it in his voice, but his songwriting is, uh, still just really top notch. There's some filler, but there's a lot of great stuff. Uh, Blake Mills, mutable set. Uh, there's one song in here. It's like moody, quiet album. It's great. Singer songwriter guy. And there's one song called money is the one true God. That was just like so beautiful and so moving and I really loved it and it's just amazing and I don't know anything about this guy I have a friend named Blake Mills but sadly they are not the same person so that's a mystery Dogleg Melee it's an emo punky record uh, I've never really been into the upbeat emo punk stuff there's some stuff I like in it but uh, you know mostly not my thing but it was good if you're into that sort of stuff Half Wave Caretaker uh, sounds like mid-period Florence and the Machine, like of specifically of the ceremonials era. Woman singer, a little Stevie Nicks inspired, perhaps. Uh, some synths, maybe a little churchesy, but more moody. I liked it. It was almost awesome. I give it like a B plus. Nick Hakim, will this make me good? Smooth, soulful, quiet. Uh, enjoyed it. Started a track or two. Did, you know, that's about it. Uh, I don't know anything about him. I should look up more about him. Anna Roxanne. Sorry, Anna Roxanne, Because of a Flower. That was an ambient album. Really good. Immediately put it to my writing playlist. If you're an ambient fan, that's a solid record. Clem Snide, Forever Just Beyond. I was thinking about a lot about old Clem Snide, this album, You Were a Diamond, that came out in 1998 or 9-ish, I'm going to guess. And I wanted to listen to it again. And so I went to Spotify and it's there, but uh, he had a new album like from the last year or two. And I was like, oh my God, he's still doing this. So I listened to it. It's called Forever Just Beyond. And it was really good. The first song, especially, I really loved. Beautiful record. Uh, Skull Crusher. A lot of these next ones came from people's various best of lists. So you may already know them. Skull Crusher. A lot of my friends are like, this is the best band of the year. EP is called Skull Crusher. Female fronted. Mellow, spooky. A lot of weird droney, reverby things. Uh, it was good, as good as everybody says. That was a great record. Uh, it seems like it's a debut. So I can't wait to hear more from them. Same with Shit Kid. Crotch Book. Uh, droney guitar thing, distorted woman voice, uh, seems to be a debut EP. Also awesome. Don't know anything about them yet, but that was really good. Ghost work. You'll be buried with that was like a garagey psych punk droney thing. Almost good, but not quite my thing. The guy's a voice like, uh, what's his name? Guy and Fugazi, not Iamakai, the other guy. His name's guy, right? Uh, anyways, voice sounds like him. So I, I, everything about it sounds like something I should love. And I was like, almost starring a track over and over again, but I never did. And I was like, yeah, yeah, this is good, but yeah, never really hit me. Uh, Bad Nerves, uh, self-titled album, really manic, happy. Uh, reminded me a lot of this band from Boston back in the day that my friend Jake Zavracki led called Quick Fix that everybody in Boston loved. Just great band, like high energy pop, like, uh, you know, uh, the fastest, most punk Elvis Costello stuff on like speed. And I really enjoyed them. And Bad Nerves reminded me a lot about Quick, love Quick Fix. And here's where we left off before this band called hub. This is a great story. I'm glad I didn't already tell it all of that. I had to do twice. Uh, I apologize if I rushed it the second time I tried to feel enthusiastic, but now we're back into uncharted territory hub. So before the election in Georgia, the first few days of the year, I was feeling pretty depressed. I was like feeling down and I was like, Ugh. especially because I had to go back to work. I, you know, I like my job, but like, it's always hard to transition from vacation, you know? And I was like, Oh, Monday. Oh, and it's a five day week. I really think we should come back from vacation on a Wednesday or something. 
but we didn't. And I had to go back to work and I was bummed and I was writing about it on Facebook and I was writing about how me and my high school friend, Carrie Hillard used to make tapes for each other, mixtapes of the most depressing music we could find. And it was really great. And I've posted those mixtapes throughout the course of the year. They're great. Uh, and I was like, I should make a new one. And I was sort of musing on that. And then privately, not on Facebook comments, but sort of messaging me, uh, another high school friend of mine, this guy, Larry, like, if you make that mixtape, I have a song for you. And he sent me a link to this song. He's like, I don't know who it's by. I always think it's by ween because I got it from someone the same time I copied a bunch of ween, like, you know, in the nineties. And I was like, well, if it's by ween, I'll know because I was a (laughs) scholar of early ween back in the day. Uh, but it wasn't by ween. And he's like, I've already shazammed it. I can't find it. And, you know, I shazammed it too. He was right. You can't find it. But what he hadn't thought to do is Google the lyrics. So I Googled the lyrics and I found it. And it's a song called Taken by a band called Hub, H-U-B. They're from Brooklyn. They don't seem to have ever made it huge. I haven't gone into Discogs and clicked on the name of every person in the band to see if they're, you know what? Hold please. I'm going to do that right now. Okay. Turns out that Hub is a solo guy. Hub Moore, James Hubbard, Hub Moore, during the mid to late 80s, so before my time, James Hubbard, Hub Moore, was the bassist for the Boston groove band Three Colors. When the five members of Three Colors went their separate ways in 1988, Moore made the gradual move to NYC and performed solo simply as Hub Moore. Over the next decade, he led the great outdoors and contributed musical scores to Hal Hartley films, which for me is very interesting because I'm a giant Hal Hartley fan. In 1988, he released Hub, H-U-B, capitalized his well-received debut on Slash London Records. 98. Uh, The bluesy pop single Evil Twin became an alternative radio hit in Boston and NYC, which when I listened to this song, I was like, I like that song, Evil Twin. It's a good song. But most notably, it is not the song that Larry sent me called Taken, which is from that record, Hub. And it's a great song, and he was totally right. It's really depressing, and it's beautiful, and I loved it. And I was like, okay, I'm going to listen to this whole album, Hub. So I listened to the whole album and here's where it gets weirder. Although I think I just figured out the answer from that. So I'm listening to it and you know, the first song is okay. And then this evil twin song comes on. It's great. And then another song, another song, and then a song called two people. And I'm like, I know this song. It's in my head all the time. And it has been for 20 years and I never knew who it was. And I've Googled it before and I can't find it. And here it is on this album. And now I think I understand why it's because like this dude was originally from Boston. He was on slash records. So probably F and X and BCN were probably probably trying to make that evil twin song a hit, which I never heard, but they were probably also trying to pick a second single from it. And they came up with this two people song. And I was like, this is crazy to me. Like Larry has a song from this record that he's like not known what it is for 10 or 20 years and wants to like figure it out. And it's a different song, but I also had this song on this record that I've wondered who is by for like 20 years. And it's called two people. It's like two people moving further and further away from each other. That's it. That's all I ever had in my head for 20 years, but it's on this hub record along with this taken song. So that was very exciting to me. Uh, And yeah, that's the end of that story. It was a great thing to happen this week, though. Made me very happy. Uh, and then we got two more. James Wilsey, El Dorado. It's like a surf rock record. I'm not really a surf rock guy, but it was good. And then the new Shamir, self-titled. Uh, I've always been kind of into Shamir. He's a he's a chameleon. He's a very interesting man. And uh, I find his music awesome because it's so many different things at once. It's like Tumblr rock. It's like perfect pop. It's like psych. It's like dance. It's like house. It's everything in one. He's very talented. He's been doing it for quite a while now. And I'm always very impressed by him. And there you go. That is all the new music I listened to in the last two weeks it's like 45 records it was a lot and of course i've been watching a bunch of tv 
Uh, I've been watching that little bird series, the Anais Nin adaptation. It's not getting any better. <laughs> I'll probably stop it soon, but it's only one season and it's short. And I did just read today that it got picked up for a bunch more markets by stars, but not America. Still not coming to America. We're watching The Expanse. Uh, we watched the first three episodes and then we pause for the holidays and watch movies. Also, because something really bad happened in it and it bummed me out and I didn't want to watch it for a while. So we're letting them pile up. They're coming out weekly and I don't like, I just, it's too much. So I'm just like, uh, we're letting them pile up a little bit. It's good. I still like The Expanse a lot, but that event scarred me and I, I need to take a break from it. Uh, turned out we had about seven more episodes of Drunk History. So we've watched most of those now. There's still two or three left, you know, little fill-ins for 30 minutes. We're watching Star Trek Discovery. The new season is awesome, uh, but it's also coming out every week. I think there's just the finale left. We might watch it tonight. We're almost done. But, you know, I watch movies during the holidays, so a lot of this stuff paused for the entire two weeks. We watched some of it at the beginning, and then we just took a pause and watched a bunch of movies. But uh, we did just watch the two-parter that precedes the finale of Star Trek a couple days ago, and it was really good. And this, I never was a Star Trek Discovery fan, but this season is, like, by far the best season of the whole thing. We watched a single episode of Song Explosure on the song Hurt by Trent Reznor because it's a great song and I love it and I love the Johnny Cash version and I love the live version and I saw that tour because I went to go see, I'd already seen Nine Inch Nails and you know, at that point I didn't normally consent to go see, consent to go see shows in arenas, but I went because Pop Lead itself was opening and I was obsessed with Pop Lead itself, even though I'd already seen them too, but I got to see Hurt when he did it behind the scrim with the visuals and all that and I love that song and I love the Johnny Cash American Recordings records and you know, so I wanted to watch that and I thought that was really good. Uh, then I found out when we were watching the Mandalorian, there's all this stuff about Ahsoka Tano and, <laughs> and I thought I knew her whole story from the Clone Wars. And then on YouTube, uh, there's this guy, Eric Voss, new rock stars who does these breakdowns of different things from nerd cinema. And he did a whole episode, 20 minutes long about order 66. If you're a Star Wars fan, you know what that means. If not, this is all going to be really boring to you. I'll try and keep it quick. And, you know, I was like, I thought I knew everything about Order 66 from all the media, but I had to watch that thing twice because I was like, I'm missing stuff here. He worked in some of the canon from video games. I don't really play the video games, but he was routinely referring to the Clone Wars. And he's like, this happened and this happened. I'm like, how do I not remember any of this? And then I realized I never finished the last season of the Clone Wars because it came out much later than the rest. It was sort of like a add on when they launched Disney Plus. And it started with this whole story arc around these clone troopers called the Bad Batch that I just did not care about. I don't care about clone troopers, really. And so I stopped. And what I didn't realize is that the rest of the season was actually Ahsoka Tana's arc after she leaves the Jedi Temple and leaves the Jedi Order. And uh, has a lot to do with like what she's been up to in the, between what I knew about in the Mandalorian. And I was like, Oh my God, this is basically like now I can watch this like mini Mandalorian prequel and it made it so much better. And we're not done yet, but like we're both Emma and I are both so into it and it's like nice. It's a kid's show, but I watched who watched one last night and I was like half drunk from a zoom call. And I was like, this is amazing. Cause I was a little drunk, but it's really good. And I'm very excited that I get to see all this new Ahsoka Tano stuff for the first time that I've never seen. So that's really nice. We watched the Doctor Who holiday special, which was good. It was fine. You know, Daleks. Yeah, well, you know, Daleks. I'm trying to think about how to talk about it without doing spoilers, but uh, some stuff happens that if you care about the canon of Doctor Who, you'll care about uh, some, you know, some interesting stuff. So, yeah, worth it. And then, of course, I watched a coup. That was fun. <laughs> 
and the Georgia elections. That was fun. Normally, I would talk about the politics here by pretending. Also mentioning I watched MSNBC, which uh, I did. But we already talked about politics. I will say though, man, Chris Hayes, guy was on it and very outraged. <laughs> Normally, Rachel is manifestly better in everyone, but I really think Chris did a better job of coup coverage. <laughs> but he had the benefit of waiting a day. He didn't do day of coup coverage. He did the day after coup coverage. The day after. Remember that? You guys old enough to remember the day after? Did your parents like go to a viewing party and leave you the teenage babysitter and then the teenage babysitter let you watch it anyway? That's what happened to me. Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, watching a bunch of YouTube stuff, uh, a bunch of Chateau things. The Chateau uh, <laughs> people are proliferating. They've got like five different mini YouTube channels about their Chateau life now. And they started yet another one that's about like lots of other people buying chateaus in France and uh, uh, restoring them. So that's extremely my thing. And I secretly want to just move the whole family to France and buy a chateau, even though my back is bad and I could not do the repairs, but I'd be into it. I could oversee them. I could be a general contractor. Uh, yeah. And then we watched a ton of movies cause it was the holidays. Uh, we kept saying we should watch the good movies, but we didn't, uh, we watched soul. It was good. I liked it. Not as much as everybody else. Uh, I think it was really daring and there was a lot of stuff that was very hard for them to do that. They did very well, like actual souls and death and dying. But you know, I don't know the nominal main character was kind of a dick. I didn't like him. Uh, 22 Tina Fey was secretly actually the main character. I think, I don't know. I just didn't like it as much as everyone else. The music was amazing though. And so was the animation that should go without saying. Uh, and we watched uh, wonder woman 84. I think I may have talked about that last time. Yeah, I did. So we'll skip that because it was terrible. Then we watched the craft legacy because <laughs> Emma loved the craft when she was a kid. And I was like, all right, we'll watch this. And it wasn't good, but it was like better than wonder woman 84. So, I mean, it deserves more credit than it got, which could also be said for the new mutants, which we actually enjoyed, even though it was not a good movie by any stretch of imagination, it wasn't near as bad as everybody said. And as the worst Marvel movie, it was still substantially better than wonder woman 84. Uh, yeah, they watched BG documentary. That was really good. A lot of stuff I didn't know about the Bee Gees, even though I am an active Bee Gees fan, not just of the disco era and have been for 20 years, but there's still stuff in there I had no idea about. So that was pretty crazy. And then we watched The Old Guard, which was solid. The uh, Charlize Theron Immortal Warrior film was really awesome and it was really good. And I would totally watch a TV show of that. It was so, it was great. And if you compare it to Wonder Woman 84, it's just like night and day. So much well, so much better done. Uh, super intelligence, a movie about a super intelligent entity, AI, uh, starring Melissa McCarthy that on paper sounds terrible and was abysmally reviewed, but you know, it had a lot going for it. It's science was rock solid, which was really weird. Uh, they really knew their shit about super intelligence and AI, which is kind of out of the blue. Did not expect that. Uh, and it was, it was pretty funny. It was a little hard because, um, you know, Melissa McCarthy is playing an every woman and it's hard to be really funny when you're an every woman, but she made it work, uh, abysmally reviewed and did not deserve it. It's like, like, uh, it should be like a 50 to 70% critic score on Rotten Tomatoes or audience score. It got like a 20. It wasn't that bad. Uh, it's on HBO max and it's an HBO, HBO max exclusive. So that might have something to do with it. And then we watched the Sofia Coppola movie on the rocks with Bill Murray and, uh, Rashida Jones. And I really enjoyed it. It was very well done. It was definitely no Lost in Translation, but it was probably our best movie other than Lost in Translation. It kept you on your toes. It kept guessing. Uh, it's funny. 
I've never been like cared one way or the other about Rashida Jones. And then my wife was like, Oh yeah, here they are trying to make pretend that Rashida Jones is just a haggard mom. And she's so hot. And I was like, is she? And I looked at her, I was like, I don't know, man. And then later in the movie, you know, like they do in these movies. And it was one of the few, one of the bigger flaws of the movie was that they did this trope, but she was all dressed up and looking nice. I was like, Oh yeah, shit. Rashida Jones. She is pretty hot. I never noticed. I don't know. It was weird, but, uh, my wife sure did, but all that aside, it was a pretty good movie. Uh, and, uh, it was well done. And, uh, you gotta love Bill Murray. What a character, even when he's playing someone kind of less than likable. <laughs> So that's it for the movies, uh, for the books. I finished the Jeff Tweedy book. I had this long debate with myself about whether I should finish it in last year or this year, because you know, I need to count the book against the year. And I decided just to give it to last year and start this year fresh. It was helpful. And it got me thinking new ways about creativity and songwriting. Not that I've applied any of it yet, but I'm glad I read it. It's a quick read for normal people. It took me like a month cause I can't read it anymore. Uh, and then I started Exhalations, a collection of short stories by Ted Chiang, because everybody told me this book is amazing, and the first three or four stories were amazing, and then there's one long one, and I'm most of the way through it now, and I'm just like, this one long one is not amazing. And then a friend of mine from high school also said the same thing on my Facebook post, but all the other ones are really good, so I don't know. Uh, I'll finish it this week, and then I'm going to read that uh, that book everybody's raving about. What's it called? Ministry for the Future, I will be reading that next. So hopefully by next time we talk, I will have something to say about that, and we'll see what happens to these uh, Tamagotchis in this (laughs) Ted Chang's short story novella. So that's about it. Whew, what are we at? An hour and a half? I guess we've done longer ones in the past, right? Thank you guys for listening. Uh, I hope your, your new year is going well. I hope you've survived our coup and did not participate in it. Uh, drop a line. Let me know what you're up to. And I will talk to you guys in a couple weeks for the next episode. Take care.